Welcome to the Ridge Life Podcast. We at Pleasant Ridge Christian Fellowship trust this message will be an encouragement to you. If you're interested in more information about our church, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church. We're going to be here in uh, Philippians chapter number one. And uh, here in uh, Philippians one, we've been uh, going through here of what, what Paul's been talking about. Uh, as far as his circumstances, what's been going on, and uh, we have found him. He's uh, been imprisoned. He's under house arrest. He's chained to a Roman guard uh, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and he's writing to these uh, believers here at Philippi, thanking them for this financial gift that had been sent to him by Epaphroditus, and uh, it was there, and it was going to be an encouragement and help to Paul. And, and Paul just really tells him, you know, thank you so much for this. And you don't know what joy this has brought to me in my life. You know, you guys have stood with me from the beginning. Uh, even until now, there's been a, a period of about 10 years that has elapsed that uh, since Paul first uh, preached the gospel there at Philippi. And you have uh, people like Lydia uh, coming to know Christ, the Philippian jailer uh, and his family. There was the uh, demon-possessed girl. Uh, of course, there was others that uh, heard the gospel there. And uh, so Paul is writing to them, telling them, thanking them for all of this stuff. And we've gone through the prayer that uh, he's prayed for them. And uh, last week, we uh, kind of looked at some of those circumstances, you know, the things that I want you to know, the things that have happened to me have happened for the advancement of the gospel. Paul was looking at his circumstances and seeing that God was using all of those things for the advancement of the gospel. And these next set of verses that we're going to focus in here on, beginning in verses 19 through uh, 26, uh, Paul says one of the most quoted passages or one of the most quoted verses uh, that uh, maybe we've heard, songs have been written about it, uh, maybe you've memorized it, and it's found there in verse 21, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And as we'll come to see that this uh, verse is really the, the major theme of this passage that we're going to uh, be focusing in on. Now there's a lot that Paul says in this passage in these uh, verses 19 through 26, and we're not going to be able to cover all of it uh, today. But I, I really want to hone in on that, that first part of that, uh, that phrase, for me to live is Christ. For me to live is Christ. And I really hope that the uh, Holy Spirit will teach us what it really means uh, for me to live is Christ. So today, what I'd like for you to take away with you is this, and I want you to think about this, okay? If you write down this phrase, for me to live is blank, what is it? What is it in your life that you live for? For me to live is what? What is it? Um, hopefully we're not all too super spiritual and, and try to put in there for me to live as Christ, because I could even say that of my own self, that many times I do not have that as saying, for me to live is Christ. But Paul did say that, and Paul could truthfully say that because this was written under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And so hopefully by spending time as we focus in on this passage, 
Uh, God will show us what that blank is and what we really are living for. And if it's not for Christ, then we really need to reevaluate our priorities and what we're uh, focusing in on. So let's take note here about this passage here. Let's read through it. Paul says, For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now and as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me... You may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. And so in order for us to work through this passage here, um, we're actually going to have to answer the question of what Paul is meaning by this phrase, for me to live is Christ. What does that mean? For me to live is Christ. What is that? The Apostle Paul was very clear and focused on this. I mean, this was his motto. This was like his mantra. This is what he lived by. For me to live is Christ. What does that mean? I believe that the purpose for which he lived is really that only purpose that takes eternity into account. That's what Paul focused in on. Eternity. He always had eternity in view. And everything that happened in his life, he filtered it through that. How is this going to affect eternity? What will be the end result? Will Christ be glorified? For me to live is Christ. And so whether we live a long life or whether we live a very short life, all of us should have that focus in view of how is this going to affect all of eternity. How will this make a difference? And so in short, Paul's purpose was for me to live, for to me to live is Christ. In commenting on this verse, Martin Lloyd-Jones had this to say, that sentence is not only a statement of the apostle's true experience, but also it is a standard of judgment which confronts us with the most thorough test of our Christian faith we will ever encounter. Every person who professes Christ as Savior must grapple with the question, can I honestly say, for me to live is Christ? If I can say yes, then I have also answered that fundamental question, what about death? What lies beyond? It will be gain for me. So what does Paul mean by this? I would say that a lot of us know this verse by heart. 
We've memorized it. Maybe it's hanging up in our house somewhere. Maybe it's crocheted on some kind of pillow. I don't know. But we have this verse here. We have to be confronted with it. And we have to ask the question, is that staying for me true? For me to live is Christ. I would say that most of us are a hearer of this, but we're not an actual doer of it. Even in my own life, I find myself wrestling with this. For me to live is family. For me to live is career. For me to live is some hobby. For me to live is some form of entertainment. For me to live is my investments. For me to live is my children. For me to live is my grandchildren. For me to live is my spouse. What is it? What exactly, when all of life is boiled down, what is that blank that's in our lives? For me to live is what? What is it? Could be health, could be wealth, could be comfort, could be popularity, could be worldliness. What is it? So what does it mean to really live for Christ? Jesus said that this was the very reason that he came to earth. He said in John chapter 10, verse number 10, that he said that we might have life and have it abundantly. He came so we could be truly alive to God, that he would be our passion and our joy. Paul had found this, and he constantly proclaimed it. Listen to what he had to say in Galatians 2.20. He said, I have been crucified with Christ, and I, no, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In Romans chapter 6, verses 10 through 11, Paul writes, For the death he died, speaking of Christ, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you too consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. When we think about the gospel, the fact that Christ came to this earth, he lived a sinless life, and he was put on a cross, he took our punishment, our, our, the, he took the wrath of God upon himself so that we might be made the righteousness of Christ. Christ died for sin once and for all, but now he lives for God. And Paul is saying, you too now consider yourselves dead to sin, but now alive to God. You see, because we have died with Christ, we are now alive with Christ. And we are to live our lives for Christ. It means growing to know Christ more intimately is what Paul said in Philippians 3.10 it means growing to love Christ with all of my heart and soul, mind and strength. That's what Jesus said in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. It means submitting all of my thoughts, my emotions, my words and deeds to the Lordship of Christ so that I seek to please him in everything is what Paul said in Colossians 1.10. It means growing to experience Christ as my all in all is what Paul said in Ephesians verse 123, and also Colossians 3.11. In every aspect of life, 
Everything must be centered around the Lord Jesus Christ. The glorious person of Christ and nothing else is the Christian life. Paul saw himself as no longer alive. He left his past behind. And now Christ was his life. For me to live is Christ. Christ was his life and Christ alone. That was it. If you remember Paul's life as, as his Christian life began as he was there on the road to Damascus. And what happened? He had this encounter with Christ. He was blinded. He fell down. The glory of God was, was there. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. What would you have me to do? Rise, go. <laughs> Tell you what you're going to do. He becomes a follower of Christ. We later read here in Philippians uh, chapter number 3. Look, look with me here just real briefly. Look at what Paul says about all these things that uh, he had in his life. He recounts all these former things that he, that he took pride in. Um, notice what he says here. Verse number 5, he says, He was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. He was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. As to zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, he was blameless. Boy, nobody could point a finger at Paul and say, Paul, you do not follow the law. He was blameless. But notice what he says, verse 7 and 8. He said, but whatever gain I had, all those things in my life that I had, I counted them as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish or dung in order that I may gain Christ. And so Christ was the beginning of his life, and getting to know him more was the continuation of his life. And one day dying would be great gain for Paul, because he says, hey, for me to die is gain. It's going to be a great gain on my part. Because that means that he would be dwelling in the unhindered presence of Christ. So I have to ask you this question. Is Christ your life? Is he your daily passion? Is he your hope for the future? In Philippians, we get the opportunity to watch a firsthand account of Paul as he recounts of these circumstances. I want you to know, brothers, the things that have happened to me. Here I am. I am in prison. I want you to know. Here's this firsthand account. And how did Paul handle those things? It says, for me to live is Christ. Everything that's happening to me is for the advancement of the gospel. My life is nothing. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 1, Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And it's really, it's a challenge for us to grow into spiritual maturity. Paul says later in this verse in uh, Philippians uh, 3.17, 
He says this, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. And uh, he taught them to follow his example, to live a life that follows Christ, that Christ is his center of his life. So what is your life? What is it that you're really living for? Is it success? Is it wealth? Is it health? Is it family? Is it things in this world? Is that your life? Is that everything that sums up your life? Those things? Is that what brings you great joy and great passion in life? That you pursue after it? Those things? Or is it Christ? We'll revisit this more in detail next week, but uh, can you truthfully say that for me to live is Christ? Can I? We need to be honest in examining our hearts before the Lord in this types of things. And so knowing this, that this is how Paul lived, that Christ was his life, I want you to take notice just a couple things here in this passage here about his life. It really showed how he actually lived this principle out of, for me to live is Christ. So notice what he says here about his circumstances. And so in my circumstances, to live is Christ. Take a look here at verses 18 through 20. Paul says here about these things. Uh, he says, uh, when he's talking here in, in Philippians, verse number 18, what then? Only then in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. And so Paul lived this principle out, for me to live is Christ. And he did this in his deliverance. Now what is he talking about here? He's saying that in my deliverance, I'm going to be delivered. And it'll turn out. He says, I know that in these circumstances, my deliverance, he says, I know by your prayers and the enablement of the Holy Spirit that this will turn out for my deliverance. What will turn out, Paul? Well, from what he said earlier in verses 12 through 18. Remember what he's talking about? All the circumstances, he knows that it's going to produce the advancement of the gospel. The gospel's going to go forward. The gospel's going to be proclaimed. The gospel's going to be preached. And he knows that all of this is going to turn out for his deliverance. And he says it with joy. And that's how he ends verse 18. He, he says this is going to happen as joyfully. And he says it twice that it's with joy. And so Paul is joyful because he is certain that his present and future circumstances will turn out for his deliverance. Do you see that there? This will turn out. That's future. This will turn out for my deliverance. Paul shows confidence. What great confidence that he has in all of this. Paul knows that he will be delivered. Now look carefully again at verse number 19. Remember where Paul is. Where is he? He's in prison. Under house arrest. He's chained to a Roman guard. But look at verse number 19. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my 
deliverance. Paul was determined to bring the gospel to Rome. In fact, we later read in Philippians that he says, I want you to salute the house of Caesar. Some of the people that are living in the house of Caesar, did the gospel reach even into the household of Caesar? Yes, it did. Why? Because of Paul's imprisonment. So the question must be asked, is Paul saying, I know that I'm going to be delivered out of prison? Is that what he's saying here? I think this is where we have an opportunity to see how we can view our circumstances. Are we looking at them as an opportunity to live as Christ or a way to get back to, for me to live is, you fill in the blank. Late Friday evening, I was studying, going through this passage, and just really trying to grapple with this whole thing about for me to live is Christ, for me to live is Christ. What does that mean? What does that mean? What is, what is the message behind that? Let's pray and ask the Lord. What, what is that? What does that mean? And it was probably about, I don't know, 1, 10 in the morning, somewhere around there. And all of a sudden, I hear the sound of shearing and twisted metal coming from our front yard. What was that? And we live near the railroad tracks, uh, kind of over there. And sometimes those trains, when they get started, they go, <laughs> you know, and they make a noise. But this was loud. This was close. And so kind of like that, uh, that book, uh, The Night Before uh, Christmas, I spring to see what this matter. I flew open the shutters. I swung. Yeah, yeah, right. Okay. So I jump up, open up the front door, and I'm looking outside. I don't see anything, but I hear this sound going. And I see taillights driving off down the road. And I'm going, oh my, somebody hit something. What was that? What was this sound of, of shearing twisted metal? That's my truck. Was my truck. Ask and you shall receive, right? Lord, what does it mean for me to live is Christ? Right? So I hopped in my other car and I followed the leaking transmission radiator fluid to find this individual who has just crashed into my vehicle. And uh, I find the individual. He lives in our neighborhood um, down the road from us. And uh, evidently, he just got off work. I don't know exactly what he was doing. Not paying attention, but he crashed into my vehicle. So I asked him, and you know, you have to think, all these things are going through your mind. Is this person drunk? Why did they leave? You know, these are, these are all things that we can think in our minds of, of getting upset, getting mad, angry. So I get there and I say, hey, did you wreck into my truck? Yeah, 
I said, well, are you okay? Yes. So we began talking and discussing. Uh, his son came out, uh, began talking with him. I was like, well, you know, the truck wasn't there where you see it there. It was actually pushed all the way over to the other side. It was sitting in the middle of the road now blocking the, uh, uh, another street. And I was like, well, we got to push that thing back. So he came over and pushed it back. We called the police. Police going to come out, fill, uh, file an accident report. But I had time there to talk and to discuss with these people. Who are you? What do you do? They, live in, they came from Honduras. They live there in uh, Goshen now. Uh, the son, he, they, have, they have three children. Uh, the son that I was talking to, he was 27. He had a brother and a sister also, but uh, when I was talking with them, I, I come to find out that their other son had passed away three years earlier from a car accident. Um, talking with him about Christ, getting this opportunity to talk to him about the Lord. And then he says, so what do you do for a living? And I said, well, I'm a pastor. Oh, we're pushing the truck, and I'm like, oh, man, I only had two payments left on this thing, too. I was like, no, not really. But uh, and then he's asking me, he's, uh, he's uh, so, I mean, did you hear this, and it woke you up? And I was like, no, I was actually uh, studying for uh, the message for Sunday. And he's like, oh. And I was like, but now I got a great illustration for Sunday. Now, this is, this is nothing, okay? This is nothing compared to what Paul faced in his life, okay? Now, I want you to get this. Don't miss this, okay? He's talking about being delivered. Here he is in his circumstance, and he's saying, I know that this is going to work out for my deliverance. In what way, Paul? That you're going to be released from prison? Let's look at what he says here. Look at verse 19 again. I know that this, this situation will turn out for my deliverance. That word deliverance that Paul is using here is literally the word salvation. It was Paul saying, I know I'm going to become saved. No, no, no. He was already a believer in Christ, okay? Was Paul hopefully thinking he was going to get released from prison? No. Here's the point. Look at verse number 20. Don't miss this. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed. Ashamed of what, Paul? Of what? What are you going to be ashamed of? You see, Paul acknowledges that he well, in fact, might be executed. Because he says, whether in life or in death, right? For me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. I know this is all going to work out for my deliverance, but I'm hoping my eager expectation is the fact that I will not be ashamed. See, the key to understanding Paul's words here is this phrase that he says, this will turn out for my deliverance. Interesting enough, when we read through the Old Testament, there was another author, another person in the Old Testament that wrote a book. And he talks about all the difficult circumstances that he faced in life. He lived a very righteous life, but yet he found himself in the midst of many difficult circumstances. Would anybody like to take 
a guess on who that might be. Shout it out. Who? Who is it? Job? Okay. Flip over to Job chapter number 13. I want to show you this. Paul talks about, for I know that this will turn out for my deliverance. Here's Job. And he's talking to his friends. He's talking to those who come to him that were supposed to be there to help and encourage and strengthen him. And instead, they're saying things, Job, the reason why all this is happening is because you got some sin in your life there, Job. Look at Job 13, verses 12 through 19. Look what he says. Job is speaking to his friends, and he says, Your maxims are proverbs of ashes. Your defenses are defenses of clay. Let me have silence, and I will speak, and let come on me what may. What should I take my flesh and my teeth and put my life in my hands? Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. Verse 16, here it is. This will be my salvation. Your other translations might read, This will be my deliverance, that the godless shall not keep, shall not come before me. Keep listening to my words and let my declaration be in your ears. Behold, I have prepared my case. I know that I shall be in the right. Who is there who will contend with me? For then I will be silent and die. Job says, this will be my salvation. This will be my deliverance. This is future. This will be my deliverance. This will be my salvation. This will become my salvation. This will become my deliverance. You see, Philippians 1.19 is identical to what Job says here when he's talking to his friends. Job is talking about deliverance. Deliverance from what? Deliverance from what, Paul? Deliverance from what, Job? See, there's no accident that Paul used this exact same phraseology, the exact same words here, because he wanted his readers to understand of his choice of words. And he purposely chose to employ the very words that Job used here because they applied to his own situation as well. Think about it just for a moment. Job was a righteous man. What happened to him? All of these circumstances came into his life, right? They say, hey, you just need to curse God and die, Job. Just be done with it. Just be done with it. His friends come to give him counsel and wisdom and help. What do they say to him? Job even says, all your words are like ashes. He says, this is not helping me. You're, you're, you're accusing me of all these things that are going on in my life because it's of me? No, no, I'm not going to have it. You see, Job was demonstrating to Satan that he was a righteous man because he feared God. And God blessed him. Job's friends come along and accuse him of wrongdoing. And Job tells that his suffering, all of his suffering, they tell him all of his suffering was a result of your sin, Job. And if he would just confess it and forsake it, God would then again bless him and everything would go back to normal. 
But in the context of Job's situation here, Job was on trial by his friends. And he wanted to be saved from being found to be a hypocrite. Here's Paul. Why was Paul in prison? Was it because he was doing something wrong? No. He was doing something that God wanted him to do. And he knew that in all of it, because of the prayers of the people there at Philippi and because of the enablement of the Spirit of God, he said, this will turn out for my deliverance, that I will not be ashamed. Because guess what? In all of it, even in Paul's imprisonment, remember what he said in, uh, previously when he was praying? Uh, there, the prayer my prayer that your love may abound more and more, that you may approve what is excellent, to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Paul is saying, look, I'm in prison here for not doing anything wrong. And he says, I know that when I stand before God, it's going to be for my deliverance, that I will not be ashamed before Christ because I was there and I was preaching the gospel. God was giving me opportunities to proclaim Christ. And it was for my deliverance. So I ask you, in your circumstances, is it for you to live as Christ? Or is it other things? And so Paul here says, look at verse number 20 as it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage now as always will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. He says, either way, this is going to turn out for my deliverance. Either way. And I want Christ to be honored in my body. In all of my circumstances and everything that I go through, I want Christ to be honored. For me to live is Christ. And so what does your life shout when you go through trials? What does it speak to everybody who watches? Does it declare my way, my comfort, my dreams? Or does it speak Christ? Does it speak the gospel, the glory of God? Paul says, for to me to live is Christ. Can that be said of you? Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifewiththeridge.church.